Okay, um, let me tell you what we're doing here. Tonight, I want to go through, um, <clears throat> well, even if we don't get through it, uh, we'll do our best to get as far as we can on what the Bible has to do about the whole issue of sexual ethics, um, you know, marriage, maybe touch on um, what the Scripture has to say on divorce and so forth tonight. Next week, um, at least as it stands now, I've got um, Dave Beck, Dr. Beck, coming to um, kind of do next week's. We're going to work on some questions together and so forth, but we will um, have him talk about abortion, um, in vitro fertilization, uh, this whole kind of, uh, a lot of the things that are um, old, some are very new, um, the ethics involved in all of that, okay? So that's the plan for next Wednesday. Um, what would that be? Is that the 8th? Okay. Then the 8th, and then um, the 15th, whatever, 22nd, we're not here because that's spring break. Um, and then we're back on the 29th. So, <clears throat> okay. Well, let's pray um, and then see how far we can get here. Father in heaven, thank you for, again, the, this evening, the ability to gather here. Um, I just thank you, Lord, for the fellowship that we can have. And we're grateful that we can study your word and learn your ways that we might walk in them. And Lord, in your ways and in your commandments, there's peace and joy and comfort and help, all that we need. So I pray that you would guide us, continue to guide us in this study. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> couple introductory <clears throat> thoughts here. The Bible has um, an awful lot to say from the beginning in um, Genesis. He has an awful lot to say about the whole issue of male to female, between male and female attraction, marriage, childbearing, family, all of that is a major, major part of Scripture. Um, also, an awful lot, and I don't want it to sound like God is <clears throat> legalistic, but he has an awful lot to say regarding boundaries in all these areas. Parents to children, children how they're to behave to parents, husband to wives, wives to husbands, so forth. Um, this whole area then is, is a, it's wider than you think when we begin to look at it. Um, <clears throat> so let me give you a couple thoughts here. One, um, the whole business of attraction between male and female is, I would say, three things. Number one, it is, we know from Scripture, it is labeled as very good. 
okay? God's intentions, of course. Um, it's the only place, every place in creation, he says, and God saw what he made, and it was, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then when you get to the sixth day, when he created Adam and Eve, brought her to him, um, and said, it's not good that the man should be alone, I'll make a helpmate for him, someone to compliment him, um, someone to supply uh, what he lacks, and vice versa for both of them. And then he said, he looked on it and said, it is very good. So the first thing is sexual relations, the whole idea is created by God, and it's good, essentially good. I'll get to a point on that in a second that's a long time error, I guess you would say. Two, <clears throat> Richard Taylor takes this, makes this point and I think a lot of other um, theologians and um, <clears throat> ethical writers, the sexual attraction that God created between male and female is probably the strongest drive there is. It's probably the strongest drive in the human race. Uh, as far as, now hunger is a major one, um, if you're starving, um, but Assuming health, assuming safety, assuming um, normalcy, I guess you'd say, that it is probably the most powerful drive among all those that God created. There's some reasons for that. I think the obvious one um, is <clears throat> procreation. The, the, the um, survival of the human race depends upon it. And we see it even in, you know, in the animal kingdom. The very survival, the perpetuation of any species or humans depends on that attraction. God also, after he made Adam and Eve, brought Eve to Adam, said it isn't good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helpmate brings her unto him. Then he says this, a man shall leave his mother and his father, shall cleave unto his wife, they shall be one. And then, that's his declaration of the nature of marriage. Then he gives them this first commandment, be fruitful, multiply, and populate the earth. Okay, um, this then is the, the perpetuation of the race depends on it. So I think that's one of the reasons that God um, made this attraction powerful. So it's good, it's powerful, it's powerful as an attraction, um, it's powerful in a couple ways I mentioned, it's, it's powerful not only in its attraction, but it is powerful in the, what procreation does. We create a human being that had no previous existence, but now exists, will never die. Physically, yes 
but they'll never pass away. That is an eternal spirit. Yes, we also created the body, procreated, the body in which that spirit lives. But that spirit lives forever. And not only do we procreate a body and a soul, but a spirit, meaning um, the image of God that was created in us, we pass that on. Now, because of the fall, we pass on a fallen, marred, scarred, damaged image of God. We also replicate to a certain degree ourselves and in some combination some both physical appearance or in temperament and personality more like the father more like the mother but we 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 perpetuate um, our personalities so yeah Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and there's, they are, there are two ways. That, that I think that's a double meaning, or a twofold meaning, that um, the two become flesh, one flesh, through children, but secondly, they themselves become one flesh. Paul said on a, um, in a reprimand, but he speaks a truth. He said to the Corinthians, whoever is joined to a prostitute, don't you know, he said, whoever is joined to a prostitute has become one flesh. So the sexual act makes the two one. Then children are a second meaning of that one flesh. Um, <clears throat> so, it's good, it's powerful. Third, because it's powerful, it has to be controlled. And I honestly don't know. I tried to wonder why. But if there is, if there is in any culture that's ever existed from the beginning of time, that has just gone berserk, which every single solitary one of them have, okay, including ours. We're headed the same direction. It's always around uh, sexual indiscretion, sexual breaking down of the barriers. It's, it is always sensual in that area. That, to me, is a... Um, piece of evidence that that strongest drive is the first to um, get out of control. Now, and that's in a fallen world. Love of money is real close. Okay, that's another one. Um, but it seems so greed and sexual immorality are neck and neck nearly 
in, in what typifies a degraded and disintegrating and um, depraved society. Now, <clears throat> the control then that God put in uh, to channel that drive is marriage. <clears throat> he created um, for sexual expression to be only in a marriage between one man and one woman and meant it to be permanent. <clears throat> now, the role of sexual drive within marriage has three basic purposes. Kind of mentioned them already. One, unity. There is a, a oneness um, that God intended, and he used the word in um, Genesis, that a man shall be joined. That's an interesting word. Joined to his wife. Glued one to another. You know, really, I was um, not too long ago walking into Albertsons and <clears throat> following a couple. I assume they were, oh, they were middle-aged or, I don't know, a little older than that, maybe. Husband and wife, I assumed. Arguing. You know, sniping, big, bickering, couple of foul mouth terms, name calling. You know, and I, and, and I thought, what does God think? He created this to be the pinnacle, top relationship a human could ever have. In some sense, a pattern of our relation to God. And he said, husbands, you love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. And, and these two nutcases um, that I'm following, both of them really, you just, you think, you know, I don't know, never mind. <laughs> My dad had a little phrase, he said, you know what, that guy I have knots raised on his head. Yeah, a fungal bat. <laughs> Sometimes it'd just be a really nice tool for a guy like that. That's counseling. You know what I mean? Anyway, um, and it's six, one half a dozen, I'm sure. I've been, um, I've been doing this job. <laughs> um, let's see. When's Palm Sunday? Anybody know? Is, I think it is maybe the 2nd of April. Assuming it is, I complete... 50 years of pastoring April 2nd, if that's Palm Sunday, okay? So how many times I've had, you know, a striped shirt and a whistle um, <laughs> in my office, you know, break. Um, you know, 
But what we've done with what God made. One of the, a kind of a homespun statement. A marriage ought to be a little bit of heaven to go to heaven in. It really should. How far we've fallen from that. Now, um, I, I want to get through some of this and then uh, take a while for some discussions. Um, the f- creation ideal, clearly, one man, one woman, perpetually. Okay? Um, a couple things that God seemed to, by creating one man, one woman, marriage, seem to imply was that there are a couple of prohibitions of other kinds of arrangements, specifically polygamy. Now Jesus, in Matthew 19, has a pretty long discussion. The Pharisees came to him, and they never had a legitimate question. They came to him to try to catch him in something. And you know, they're, of course, total unbelief. But here you are talking. You're talking to God in human flesh who knows everything. But it says they hope to catch him and to trick him in some word. Man, if that isn't a fool's errand, I'm going to trip up Jesus. Watch me. Um, I don't think so. But he said, the Pharisees came and says, is it lawful, you know, to divorce your wife? And Jesus said, and they asked it for any cause. Jesus said, from the beginning it wasn't so. But Moses, he said, because of the hardness of your heart, gave you divorce. Okay, so I, I want to make sure I use the right word here. It isn't that God is accommodating um, the, you know, wrecking of marriages and so forth. But it's a fact of the fallen world that he faces. Um, he never changes. Malachi said, I am the Lord. I hate divorce. Yet he said, I, I. I gave it to you because of the hardness of your hearts. Okay? Now, polygamy, um, and Jesus mentioned that too in this conversation with Pharisees, and then his disciples in uh, Matthew 19 um, followed up when they got him to the side. They said, man, Lord, if, if, you, if you're not supposed to divorce your wife for but a very, very, very few narrow reasons. We're better off not getting married. This is, <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're in trouble here. A um, little bit of context. When the Pharisees said, is it lawful to marry or to divorce your wife for any cause? That was literally what it had, what the situation had degraded into. So you, I'm not exaggerating. Um, <clears throat> I don't care. You wanted eggs over easy and they were hard. 
That's enough. That's pretty major. Um, but you wrote on a piece of paper, I divorce you. You handed it to her, and she has to leave. She's out. That's all you had to do is state, I divorce you. She's gone. Well, of course, Jesus never even tended that with Moses. When he did begrudgingly give the dissolution of marriage as a possibility, they had taken it to that ridiculous end where there was virtually, there was nothing that didn't qualify as grounds for divorce. So Jesus tightened it up. And he tightened it up drastically in that conversation. He said, I say unto you, um, except for the cause of, and the scripture, some versions will say, because of fornication or because of adultery or because of sexual immorality. The word there is fairly wide. Um, the word is just por porneia any kind of sexual immorality, okay? Now, hang on to that for a second. <clears throat> and that's all he said. Um, Paul, over in 1 Corinthians 7, I believe, added another grounds, and that is desertion. We'll explain that in a minute, okay? Um, <clears throat> but God intended marriage to be permanent. And of course, we, we still ha have in the ritual, um, till death us do part. Um, now, that's kind of a fast run through um, of kind of an outline. Um, <clears throat> Sin, of course, changed all this. So now what we have, um, even within the bounds of marriage, um, everything's infected. And Paul talks, in fact, to the Thessalonians, chapter 4. He said, it is the will of God, even your sanctification. In order that you may abstain from fornication, and he said that you would know how to treat your wife not like the Gentiles in marriage. In he said, the uh, what's the, he uses the word um, in kind of an un, uncorralled lust, but in honor and in goodness and kindness and faithfulness and so forth, okay? So even within the bounds and the bonds of God's created relationship of marriage, it takes two pure-hearted believers to make it like it ought to be. Because even within, they can, you can say, well, we're not committing adultery, we're not going to see prostitutes, we're married, we aren't straying. Even then, sin has infected that so that it's, it, it's off balance. And the primary reason is you have a good, 
uh, tr trunk and branches and leaves of self-centeredness in here. Then you take two people that are going to be different, okay? God also, maybe I should have put that in the core outline here. Um, it's implied that when he gave Eve to Adam, on purpose, he gave Adam a woman that was different from him, would be meant to be a balance to him. Almost always opposites attract. And that's a re there's a reason for that. We're insufficient. We're, we're deficient by ourselves. And so God gives us somebody that, as he said, compliments, meant to compliment. So here's what we do. Your husband, your wife, they're a bit different from you. Their temperament is different. Their viewpoints are different. Their fundamental wiring is different. And then what do we do? We set out with all of our effort to try to make them be like us. We don't appreciate the differences they have. We don't value the different viewpoints and vantage points they could bring to us. We just focus on how they don't do things or think like I think, and so you, you, need, to, you need to snap to it here and think like I think. And that will guarantee that it blows up. There, that doesn't mean there's not adjustments and um, maturing and so forth. But we ought to more and more fit. And well, I'll say this. I hope I don't get in trouble. Um, and I'm not trying to come across as some kind of a, you know, I walk on the clouds and, you know, just play a harp all the time, already ready for heaven. Um, <clears throat> I don't understand the people that talk, honestly, that talk to me. I tell you, marriage is, marriage is the toughest thing. I tell you, we're back and forth, and we, but God helps us. We, I, 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 if I give you a blank stare and you're talking like that, it's because I don't get it. I don't get it. It shouldn't be like that. I don't recall Jesus and the church bickering all the time. You? Marriage, as he said, you love your wife like Jesus loved the church and went off to Calvary to die. It's the, again, I guess, the question that comes to my mind is, does anybody, A, own a Bible, B, ever read it? I just don't get this business, and I hear, I hear the congregation. I tell you what, it's tough. Now, maybe if you got Liz in here all by herself, <laughs> she'd say, listen. Uh, but honestly, I, and I'm not trying to be some holier than that. I don't live like that. Let me tell you something. The person who, the being who created and thought up and designed marriage, if he lives in our hearts, he's a fairly reliable source on how to treat your wife or your husband. And here's another thing about him. 
He doesn't shut his mouth. He doesn't say, well, I, haven't, I just haven't been asked yet. I won't say, no, listen. There's been times when I have thought, you know, I, whatever. <clears throat> this is a long time ago, but I remember specifically. We had this crazy little, little dog we loved. He hadn't had any kids yet. She was in Portland State. I was in seminary. And he had a tendency to kind of run in the neighborhood. Weren't a lot of cars, no traffic to speak of, just, you know, residential um, and, you know, she would let him out and not close the gate or whatever. And I, you know, being the mature and always right, one, I told her, I said, listen, he's going to get out and he's going to get run over, you know. So this is one particular day. She didn't listen to me. Um, and some woman came driving up to the front of her house and said, have you got a little black dog? Yeah. You know, she's bawling. She said, I ran over him. And, you know, so um, <clears throat> we go back a block or so and we get him and he's he's gone. <laughs> I don't know whether he went up or down. <laughs> but anyway, um, that was the end of him. So we bring him back. I bring him back. And I leave him outside. And Liz just loved that dog. And I came in and I wasn't you know, roaring mad or whatever else, but I thought, I'm going to have to tell her. Now, you know what I mean? I told you. Um, I could tell you it's, the building is still there. The house is, no, they burned it down. Yeah, that was the parsonage with slugs in it and all that. Anyway, yeah, they burned it to the ground. But I took a hold of the back door. And again, I wasn't, smoke wasn't coming out of my ears, but I was going to have to reprimand her good. And I took a hold of the door. I'm not making this up. It was God. I knew I heard a voice. And I, I knew who it was. Shut your mouth. Don't you say a word to her. I, I didn't. Now listen, you're not going to tell me that in various situations, all of us, we hear that voice. Listen to it. That's the live in 24 hour a day marriage counselor who invented it that's telling me how to behave listen do it now <clears throat> now that things are infected what what now are does god have to uh adapting to the situation what does he have to prohibit? He has prohibited premarital sex. He has, uh, of course, prohibited adultery. The word that is used, um, fornication, means, assumes two unmarried people. Adultery assumes at least one is married. Um, and the wide word which does appear quite a bit, pornea just means all kinds of sexual immorality. Um, and it includes, of course, the explosion of what we have today in pornography and all the junk, plus 
all the stuff that's just hit us when it seems like it's just been in the last two years or three years, you know, the drag queens, all, all of this is just stinking gutter depravity, okay? All of it is um, covered in the words, you know, porneia, really, uh, just sexual depravity, okay? Um, <clears throat> now, Back to the apparent, it's not a contradiction, but if God from the beginning, and Jesus said so, from the beginning, one man, one woman, um, what's the deal with polygamy in the Old Testament? Anybody want to explain that? It doesn't ever start until... Well, it's in the genealogy before Noah. And I can't remember. This guy, what was his name? Anyway, it starts with a J. Um, anyway, he was the first guy that took, took a second wife. Sanity had dropped to that level. <laughs> that this guy, he wanted another one. Um, so, it didn't start with, you know, the people of God. But it spread to where you have... Of course, the, the chief was Solomon. 300 wives, which I can't even remember. 300 wives, 700 concubines, or the other way around. It really doesn't matter <laughs> a whole lot. Okay? And even he, he said out of a thousand, you can't find one good woman. Man, what a bitter kind of a mess he ended up in. And it says, you know, outlandish women said, turned his heart aside. What that meant was he, he married non-Jewish and non-Yahweh worshiping women. And they pulled his heart away to where um, I hope Solomon got back to God. And I think in Ecclesiastes there's indication that he said, I'm now an old and foolish king. And he writes in the end of Ecclesiastes, what's the whole duty of man? Fear God, keep his commandments. This is all that matters. Hopefully that to me is a personal testimony that he came, <clears throat> came back to God. But listen, he built, he built um, just these godless, um, lascivious kind of temples for all these different gods. And appointed you know priests to them built them all over um, they called it the mount of corruption which in the new testament is the mount of olives um he just went clear off the deep end but david was a polygamist abraham was a polygamist jacob was um and isaac wasn't but moses was so you know you have towering men of Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith, that were polygamists. Um, and here's the other thing that's confusing to me a little bit. Um, we know from Jesus that it was not God's original plan. Yet, he established certain rules by which it was to operate. He said, now, 
the firstborn son of the first wife you married is the heir, even if you don't like her. <laughs> even if you like your third wife better than your first wife, you can't change that arrangement. Just because you don't care for her as much as you care for this one, you still have to give, if, that, if she bore you the first child, son, the inheritance goes to him. Don't marry, he said, a wife and her sister. You're going to have trouble. Well, wonder where he got that. Jacob. Now, you can't really blame Jacob. He wasn't hunting for two wives, but his crooked uncle Laban, who was a match for Jacob as far as a schemer, um, you know, foisted off Leah, his eldest daughter, because um, the original Hebrew, King James says, I think it says she was uh, either weak-eyed. Is it weak? I think the word weak. But the Hebrew is dull. <laughs> Dull-eyed, okay? And Laban cooked up this deal where he said, you know, in our culture, we don't ever marry off the, you got to marry off the first daughter first. You can't marry her younger sister until the older sister's married. So he knew, I'm not going to get rid of Leah, and I'm not going to get any dowry out of her because she's dull-eyed. I don't know what that meant, but I'm in trouble. So, you know, he makes him, he um, tricks him into marrying Leah, um, and then, because it's a nighttime ceremony, she's completely veiled. He doesn't figure it out until the morning. And then, and he'd worked for her for seven years, thinking he was going to marry Rachel. Then Laban says, well, I'll tell you what. Live with her one week. That's all you had to for, to make it legal to marry a second wife. And then he says, then I'll give you Rachel for the next seven years. You're going to work for me. Um, anyway, so... You have polygamy, which was practiced among the saints. Um, I can't completely explain it. I don't think it was merely because God was all worried that the earth wasn't populated fast enough, so he had to give a bunch of, you know, you have a bunch of wives. Um, he only gave Eve one wife, and there was only two people in the whole world. So he, he must have not been that worried about hastily populating the world. Um, I think, again, it's, it's an accommodation of God, something he would, well, I'll give you a King James word. When Paul was preaching on Mount Mars Hill, Acts 17, talking about paganism and so forth in the past, he said for a time God winked at that. He, yeah, I know. I got bigger fish to fry. It's basically what God's saying. I'll get to that later. Um, and then when he did, of course, and Jesus set things straight when he said, from the beginning it wasn't so. So we're getting back to the beginning. And then you have, you see in the New Testament, um, in the requirement for ministers from Paul to Titus to Timothy, um, who do you appoint? husband of one wife um, anti-polygamy which was still pretty rampant um, <clears throat> now let me ask you a couple questions here um, first of all 
Um, this is a question I will get sometimes on a grounds for divorce. I hope I don't get in trouble here. Um, and I've read some, you know, thinking that because Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart, okay? There are, I have had people feel that there is a basis for divorce on the, on the grounds of adultery when there's not been actual adultery, but there's been some level of addiction or whatever to pornography. And by the way, I, I'm not using the word addiction in the way it's normally used, meaning it implies, you know, I'm just caught, there's nothing I can do, I can't help it. Listen, Jesus said everybody who commits any sin is a slave to it. That's addiction. Um, so it's, but it's not a psychological thing where, you know, um, Jesus said it comes out of the heart. So it's spiritual. But, answer that question. Is that grounds or not? What did you say? Okay, you're a no vote. I know, yeah. Obviously, it is adultery, but it's obviously not. Like hating your brother was murder, but you know, yeah. that doesn't mean that you know, we're all murderers. And that you're on death row. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult situation. There's yeah. Well, anybody want to um, vote? Anybody want to give your opinion? Then I'll, I'll weigh in with mine, kind of like the Pope, you know, ex cathedra, there's no more debate. <laughs> I think if it were such a level that's discovered and there's a refusal on the part of that spouse to quit, then you're getting to the edge where it may be grounds. But, and it's not that I'm saying, hey, as long as it's just only a little bit of pornography. I'm not meaning that at all. When there's not the, the actual act is not completed, as far as marriage is concerned, I think you need off an awful high amount of emotional attachment to someone other than your spouse or the actual act, okay? In order for it to be true grounds. Involvement in pornography is not a small matter at all. But um, I do not believe that (coughs) rises to the kind of level it will cut you off from God but it doesn't necessarily nullify the marriage bond. Does that make any sense? I hope I'm right. I think I'm right. Um, But there's there's fuzziness sometimes, and I think we have to live with that. The second grounds that Paul gave for divorce 
um, is abandonment or desertion. He says in chapter 6, 1 Corinthians, he's talking about um, a two spouses, maybe both married, one of them becomes a Christian. His advice is to Christian, don't you even think about marrying an unbeliever. Don't be joined together, he said, yoked together with an unbeliever. But assuming that you're married long before you ever heard the gospel, and you go to Paul's church in Corinth, and one of them gets saved, okay? And the other spouse is opposed, not agreeable, and begins to make, uh, you know, trouble. Paul said to the Christian, don't divorce the unbeliever. Now, we're not talking about adultery and things that will nullify it. But he said, don't, don't throw the unbeliever out. How do you know whether they'll be saved? So stay with them, be patient. But, he said, if the unbeliever themselves chooses to leave, he said, the brother or the sister, meaning the Christian spouse, is not bound in such a case. And it's the same concept of the marriage bond. Okay? Um, it doesn't mean that they couldn't be reconciled. Um, even under Jesus' grounds, adultery, fornication, the act of adultery, the act of unfaithfulness, I believe, breaks the bond. Okay? But it doesn't have to remain broken. It, there can be reconciliation. Um, you have a right, but God's choice is still to, if, if, if it's possible, to reconcile, to fix it. Now, um, just to be honest with you here, there are some things, um, and I know we don't have it today as bad as in the New Testament. Things were far worse. But today, um, well, let me just say this, and I don't want to take a bunch of time here, but I think sometimes inadvertently, maybe good-heartedly, I mean, we, went, we, we met well, but I think sometimes um, conservative, solid Bible-believing, uh, evangelical Protestantism was too hard on people who were divorced. Um, I'm not, you know, becoming a United Methodist liberal and we're going to have a rainbow flag next week. Um, but I think I can remember brand new getting into the being a voting member because I wasn't ordained yet, but I was licensed and I was pastoring. So if you're pastoring, even though I was still in seminary and I had a license to preach, I was a voting member of the ministers in the Oregon Conference of the Evangelical Church. And I can remember um, the ministers only voted, yay or nay, on advancing somebody out of seminary, completed their education, and, you know, they were um, judged qualified. 
the ministers voted on whether to advance them to ordination or not. And back then, um, if you were divorced, unless you could, quote, prove, I think the discipline said, unless you could uh, prove that you were the innocent party. Well, after almost 50 years, I ain't sure there ain't such a thing. Um, Now, is it sometimes 95 to 5? Yeah. But what, you know, um, clear-cut cases, it's understandable. But um, it never took into account repentance. It never took into any account. It was if you've been divorced, it's very unlikely you're ever going to get ordained. We're not going to ordain you, period. Um, So... I wonder, um, I'm thinking of a guy that was very gifted, and um, he got soundly converted. He and his wife, they were just wild-eyed, LSD hippies. And who knows what all they were involved in, but both of them got marvelously converted. Um, God turned their lives around. He at least was... um, you know, out of a purple haze long enough to get a teacher's degree, so he taught school. And he said, God called me to preach, and I know it. And he had the gifts and the graces. He could. He could. But the discipline, basically, he's been divorced, not, not going to ordain him. And I remember one guy making a strong argument, you know, we can't ordain him, he's been divorced. And we knew, I knew, a bit of the guy who was making the most noise. We can't ordain him. We can't advance him to behind the sacred desk. Um, I knew some of the things he used to do when he was in college. And so the question was put to him, you know what you how you ran around the fraternity parties and the whole business. Paul said you, you're joined to another woman. You're one flesh. That's the same thing as being married. In fact, it marries you technically. That's why the old shotgun wedding deal was you make real what you guys already did. Um, you're ordained. And you know what you did, and you're going to vote against this guy? He at least had the decency to go to a judge. Um, I don't ever want to get, um, you know, too loose on stuff. But I feel like in, in my past, there's been some times where I was hard on guys like that um, who God had redeemed. You know what I mean? If he forgave them and it still seemed he had a call on him and he had the abilities and you could tell it and he loved God with all of his heart, where do we get off? You know, well, you can do this, but you can't do that. I pastored, after I was in Oregon, I pastored for just 
two, two years and ten months in a little town called Sturgis, Michigan. It was a church that had voted to close, which is really encouraging to go there. And the superintendent said, you know, you need to go there. Um, and anyway, so, and right next door, door to us was another church, and they were a small W, Wesleyan Doctrine Church. But very, very, very um, legalistic. If you were divorced, you could not. Now, this is how picky it got. If you were divorced, um, you could not, as the pastor told me one day, uh, we don't allow anyone, he says, who's been divorced to step behind the sacred desk. It's a piece of wood. Um, but at any rate, they couldn't read scripture as a layman because you're up on the platform behind the sacred dead. You couldn't sing a solo up on the platform. You couldn't sing a duet. You couldn't even be in a trio, but somehow there was something magic about getting beyond three because you could sing in the choir, okay? Um, all because they'd been divorced. The one thing I did notice, they would take their tithe. They were allowed to tithe. Can't stand behind the sacred desk, but we'll cash your check. Um, anyway, we deal with it. It's life. It's, it's still not God's choice, but God still, we're still dealing on what he said because of the hardness of hearts. And much, many times you have one person that gets to God or whatever and wants to straighten things out. The other one won't. I don't have any control of that other one. That's been um, something that I've seen over the years and probably maybe only 10 years or so into the ministry changed my mind. Um, and, 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 I don't know what to do sometimes. Um, I know Jesus obviously took divorce very clear, very plainly and made his point pretty clear. But I think some of the cases that you deal with today of abuse of little kids and so there wasn't physical adultery, but there's beatings and there's, I mean, what in the world? I simply can't believe that God is saying, no, unless there's an actual act of adultery, you stay there. Um, I don't know what to do with a lot of what we've got going on today. Um, but I think the main motivation of all of religion is love out of a pure heart and love your neighbors yourself. So somehow in all of our dealings, in everything, um, it has to be mercy. Um, and mercy can go a long way before it becomes indulgence and compromise. We can't do that. But we have to be merciful. Um, and God is in the business. Well, he's in the business of resurrection, restoration. And has, as he said, David prays, said, Lord, if you would mark every one of our iniquities, who could stand before you?
we're, we're all cooked. If, if God had the attitude that many of us can have or maybe in the past have had toward other people who've racked up some pretty good records of sin like we have, if God treated us like we can sometimes treat those, we'd be in trouble. I'm glad God's merciful. Yeah. But then does it really come down to God knows your heart? Yeah. At the end of the end. Yeah. And I don't. You know what I mean? I can fool anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I just really feel um, that, you know, Paul never got off the fact. He said, um, when he said, I am the chief of sinners, he didn't mean presently. I'm still, I'm still the biggest drinker on the block. I'm di he didn't mean that. But he said, I persecuted the church. I brought people and I saw, I voted that they be put to death. So I'm glad God had mercy on me and I plan to have it on everybody else. Um, I think that's, that's the right attitude. And I think, Dan, um, I, don't, I do my dead level best. I don't ever want to violate God's clear-cut scripture. But there are a lot of cases that um, I think it's, they're almost case by case. And what the, the Holy Spirit just can kind of tell you, um, this one's cut and dried. Others, give us some time, you know. Um, go easy here. I'm not done yet. I'm still working. Um, and so it's the spirit of the law, not the letter. Because the letter kills. The spirit makes alive. Um, now, that's probably good enough, I guess, um, Any thoughts or questions before we go? Got just a couple minutes. <clears throat> I I um, I don't know after fifty years if I'm ever going to be able to change. Um, I you know what the bad thing about being a preacher is. Um, you're into a monologue. I'm no good at answer, asking questions. I, I, I wish I were better at asking thought-provoking questions, but I can't. Um, I figure I already know the answer, and I'm telling you. <laughs> um, that sounds bad, but I'm just bad at talking, you know, too much. Anyway, um, any, any other, any questions lingering that we didn't cover or or what else before we go? That it? Okay. Let's bow our heads and then remember next, next Wednesday. I'm looking forward to that. Um, Dave being with us and answering some tough questions. Um, there are a lot of tough questions in that whole issue um, that he, I think he can help us with from both um, you know, what the Bible says, but also 
medical advances have created more questions for us. So, Father in heaven, thank you for everything going on in the building tonight. Thank you for all the good kids we have, the volunteers that teach them and love them. And I pray that you would keep us all, keep us as a church, Lord. I thank you for the congregation we have, and I pray that you would continue to bless us and um, just settle us in ever deeper in our faith with you and our love and gratitude to you and for one another. Keep us safe as we go, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. You are dismissed. <laughs>